Amen. All right. Well, good morning and welcome to week one of our new series that we're calling SWAT. That's Spiritual Warfare and Tactics. And I am pretty pumped to have everybody together right here under the tent today as we begin this series. I'll tell you what I'm more excited about is that just a few minutes we're going to have some good food over there and fellowship. So we're going to get there in just a moment. Hold on to your hunger appetites for a second because spiritual warfare... Spiritual warfare is a really practical topic uh, that affects all of us, and I wonder how often you've heard a series on a topic like this. For the next six weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to take a deep dive into the tactics of spiritual warfare and look at that armor of God passage in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. Now, here's what I've learned to be true about spiritual warfare over the years, and maybe this resonates with you too. We know it's important, but we don't do it. Right? We know it's important, but we don't do it. We don't fight. And I was asking myself the question this week, why is that? I think we don't feel threatened. We don't think our spiritual life, our spiritual walk is a life and death battle. And so we're caught off guard when an actual threat comes our way. And that made me think of a pretty odd image this morning that I want to give you. And that's the image of a penguin, right? A penguin. Who doesn't love penguins? Anybody out there love penguins? My daughter's real. I, I see those hands. Yes, yes, I see that big hand in the back. My daughter's really into penguins right now. Uh, she really, in fact, I brought a stuffed animal with me today for kids, if you're out there. I got the little stuffed animal on stage here. Uh, you know, and penguins are great because you go to the zoo and you see them waddling around. They're doing the, you know, they've got the hands like this. They're moving around, the penguins. Everybody loves them. They're adorable. They make funny noises, right? He just come, I was at the Philadelphia Zoo recently. I saw him do it. Then they swim in the water, right? They're swimming around. They're popular attractions at the zoo and at the aquarium because people want to see these little penguins waddling around, just enjoying life without a care in the world. Everybody loves a penguin, but not everybody loves a penguin for the same reason. You know who else loves penguins? This guy right here, right? The orca, the killer whale. He loves penguins. Because they're really good to eat. They're really tasty. So a few years ago, I read that there was a travel blogger named Matt Karsten. He was on a killer whale watching uh, expedition in Antarctica, if you can imagine that. Uh, And he noticed that there was this penguin swimming through the water, and he was being chased by this pod of killer whales. So this little penguin who's waddling around all the time without a care in the world, now he's swimming for his life trying to evade this threat. And this penguin kept swimming faster and faster. He's going back and forth, back and forth. And the killer whales are right on his tail, literally. And then he gets an idea. He decided to jump into the boat with the whale watchers. (laughs) Smart little penguin, right? But he missed the first time. He falls back into the icy danger. And then he's swimming, he's swimming, he's swimming, trying to get away from them. And then the second attempt, he jumps up and finally gets in the boat. Now, the killer whales, they were circling around. By the way, this little boat, I can't imagine that a killer whale didn't capsize it. These guys are crazy. I I was just blown away by this. But apparently they swam around, they went away, and the penguin decided after a little bit that he's safe. He waved goodbye, and then he jumps back in the water. So this little penguin, who usually waddles around without a care in the world, finally encountered a serious threat, and what did he do? He rushed for safety. Do you see where I'm going with this? Our our approach to spiritual warfare is often like this. We act like penguins. Killer whales, they're in the water all the time, but we're not always alert to their presence. 
When things are good, we think we can relax, but our enemy never relaxes. What does the Apostle Peter tell us in his letter? He lays it out clearly. He says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So, so Peter gets it. He says, stay alert. Watch out, right? You have an enemy. You got a killer whale out there. You got a lion who's wanting to devour you. And I think Peter, and, and we'll see Paul later on, are giving the church the same message. We got to prepare for battle. We have to prepare for battle. We live in a world at war. The Christian life is a battleground. But like the carefree penguin, we are not prepared. Most Christians don't think they live in, a, in danger spiritually. Kind of reminds me of a movie I saw many, many years ago now. It was a movie called Pleasantville. Anybody seen this movie? Those of you that are a little bit older. This is how we treat the Christian life. We think this, we think this is the goal of the Christian life. Pleasantville is a place where there's no problems, where everything is in black and white, where everybody's safe. We'll stay behind our gated community, and everybody's just going to be okay. How many of you out there would love to live in Pleasantville? But it's not reality. We are at war. In the words of Aragorn from Lord of the Rings, he says, open war is upon you whether you would risk it or not. It's just a reality of life. And that's why spiritual warfare is important. It's not optional. It is essential to the Christian life. That little penguin would like to pretend there's no killer whales in the water, but then one day he's going to get eaten, and that would be the end of him. No more penguin. So here's my question for you today. Are you prepared for battle? Are you prepared for battle? Because we need to be ready to fight, and that preparation requires two things. Number one, we have to recognize that there's a war, and then number two, we need skill in combat. So the next five weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about this skill in combat piece. Today, I just want to challenge us to recognize that there is a war. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 14, Paul unpacks three key realities that we want to look at. First, he's going to give us a warning. Second, he's going to show us the enemy. And then third, he's going to start getting into the skill and show us our main defense. So he's going to Give us a warning, he's going to show us the enemy, and he's going to take us to our main defense. These opening verses, they're going to lay a foundation for the series. So let me, let me pray for us, and then, and then we'll dive in today. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for each of my friends that are here today. Thank you for the chance to gather together as one church, Lord God, here under this tent as this breeze is blowing, Lord God. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the gifts that you give to us, Lord. Would you help us to prepare for battle today? We pray that in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So let's start by looking how Paul begins his famous section on spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6 verse 10 says this, Finally, finally, after everything he said, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So this opening session, se section, it's an admonition. It is a warning to the believers at Ephesus. And what he's basically saying here, if I could put it in this opening illustration, is that he wants us to be prepared penguins and not scared penguins, right? He wants us to be a prepared penguin, not a scared penguin. Paul's assuming danger here. I don't want you to miss that. So I want you right now, let's get some, we'll get some audience interaction today. I want you to turn to your neighbor right now and say, I'm going to be a prepared penguin. Go, turn to your neighbor, tell him that. All right, good, good, good. Now, turn to your other neighbor and tell them, I'm not a scared penguin. And let them know, I'm not a scared penguin, that's right. I'm a prepared penguin. There you go. 
Good. Don't forget that. Now, how do we do it? How do we do it? That's the question. Well, again, that opening penguin illustration gave us a clue, and that's this. We must know where to run or swim for help. We have to know where to run or swim for help. When our little penguin was chased by those killer whales, what did he do? He swam to the boat. He swam to help. And Paul is telling us the same thing in this verse right here. I want you to notice three words. First, there's the word finally. Now remember, these verses come at the end of a letter where Paul has been telling the Christians all about their identity in Christ. The first half of Ephesians taught them about the doctrine, about their true identity in Christ, and then the second half of the letter taught them how to live it out, how to be a Christ follower. Now the expression in the Greek does not mean that this is the end of the Christian life. It means it's actually the beginning. It means from now on, live this way, be strong in the Lord. Somebody out there say, I am strong. Oh, come on. I want to hear you say, I am strong. There you go. All right. How strong are you? How are you strong? You're strong in the Lord. You're strong in the Lord. Now, here's what I want you to understand. You have to, this is foundational for our growth in spiritual warfare. That phrase, be strong, and be stronging in the Lord, it's actually a passive voice. So the whole idea that Paul is saying right here is that, wait for it, if, we wanna, if we're going to be strong, we have to receive strength, not from ourselves, but from an outside force. So Paul right here, he's laying out a battle plan. The battle plan is this, don't rely on me, rely on thee. Don't rely on me, you got to rely on thee. Our battle plan should be like the penguin, right? In our spiritual battle, as we're swimming through those dangerous waters, we should always be looking to jump to safety in our father's arms. That's what the penguin did. He jumped to safety in, on the boat, and we should do that in our father's arms. Spiritual warfare is waged in the power of God, grounded in the assurance of the finished work of Christ on the cross and empowered through his Holy Spirit. And that truth is all throughout Scripture, my friends, right? Look at the Old Testament. When David faced Goliath, 1 Samuel 17, when the giant came to David and he was taunting him and he was saying, I'm going I'm I'm to end your life. I'm going to feed you the birds of the air. Did David tell the giant that he came to fight against him in his strength? No, thank you, no, all right, I hear it over there. No, he did not. What did he say? He said, Goliath, I come against you in the name of the what? In the Lord of hosts. He will defeat you. David knew the battle belongs to the Lord. 1 Samuel 17, 45 and 46. He didn't rely on me, he relied on thee. When Joshua led the Israelites through the, to the promised land, what did he say? He said, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For what? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The Lord your God is with you. Be strong in him, not yourself. Now, here's what I think. Too many of us, and I'll put myself in this category too, too many of us give up on spiritual warfare because we are fighting in our own strength just reality. We're fighting in our own strength. We're relying on ourselves. And what Paul is saying here is you need a different strategy. Even the penguin knew he needed to jump onto the boat to get away from the killer whales. What's the different strategy? Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God. Now, this clause is hugely important. There's two elements to this 
to the strategy that Paul alludes to in the verse. First, the first element is that of personal preparation. In other words, each of us has a role to play in spiritual warfare. We each have a role to play. Now, the, the force of the grammar conveys that this is a continual putting on. That word put on is the word for putting on clothing. It's a continual daily action. We don't just put on the armor of God once at the beginning of our Christian life. We put it on every day. When you wake up, put on the armor of God. Now, Paul's inspiration for the armor, which we'll cover in subsequent weeks, likely came from at least two sources. Number one, Paul is writing this letter from a prison, a Roman prison. And as he's in the prison, he's probably watching all these soldiers walk by him day after day. He's watching them, and he's, he's looking at the Roman battle gear. But then secondly, a lot of people think the inspiration came from the Old Testament divine warrior from places like Psalm 62 and Isaiah 11. And in those passages, God himself is pictured as, as a warrior, right? He's a warrior who fights and defeats his enemies. But not only that when, that, when that divine warrior defeats his enemies, he takes his armor and he gives it as a gift to his people so they are prepared for battle once they come after him. And so this shows us the second element, that it's not just our preparation, but it's also God's generosity, Literally, the armor of God is a gift from God himself. It's a gift to be used as a tool in the battle you're facing right now, whatever it is. So I just want to ask you, do you recognize that the armor of God, and maybe you've heard this passage many, many times. I don't care how many times you've heard this passage. Do you recognize that the armor is a gift? For you kids out there, I know you're out there, sitting out there, I see you. What was the best gift you ever received? You can tell your parents right now. What was the best gift you ever received? right? Now, there's, there's gifts. There's a lot of different gifts you can receive. There's gifts with a purpose. There's gifts you can use. And then when you're young, there's gifts that you just get that are fun, really fun gifts, like, like stuffed penguins. They don't have much of a use, but they're really a lot of fun, okay? Now, when you get older, you adults know this, when you get older, you don't get excited for a, 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 a fun gift that you can't use. You get excited when the gift is useful, like, yes, I got a power tool. Yes, I got whatever else it is that you got out there. You want to be able to use that, for example, my wife, my wife got me a gift for Father's Day, I got to tell you. Here was the gift. Best gift ever right here, okay? Some of you out there know pickleball paddles. I hear some clapping out there. Watch. This is for Pete Lima right here. All right. Oh, there we go. I'm still working on it, okay? My daughter loves these too, by the way. It's a sword for battle on the court. Friends, the armor of God is a gift for battle. You got to use it. It's a gift from God himself. Author Rob Ventura puts it this way. Putting on God's armor is taking what God has so richly supplied in his son and then appropriating it personally each day. You got to use it. Have you received God, the gift of God's armor as a gift? Now, I don't know how everybody's coming here today, but I imagine that at some level you're facing a trial. Right now, you might feel like that penguin being chased by killer whales. Your boss is against you. Uh, your relationships are breaking down. The debt, it's crushing you. you. If you're a kid, maybe your friends are ignoring you. Whatever it is, I want you to know today that God, the creator of the universe, says to you, and this is his message, rely on my strength, receive my gifts. That's the battle plan. All right, so now we're armed for battle, but that's not where it ends. The fight is just getting started. Now we need to, we need to learn our enemy, and that's where Paul takes us next. He's going to show us our enemy. 
Now, let me take you back again to this penguin illustration. It was really fun to come up with this this week. Just for a second here, okay? These birds might look really cute and cuddly and adorable, but these birds know how to fight. I want you to go home, Google, go on YouTube, and just put in penguin fights, and you will see that they go after each other. They're flapping their wings. They're beating each other like a bass. They're pecking at each other. They know how to fight. It's crazy. I found this last summer crazy watching penguin fights. You, you watch it, you'll, and they're ah, like, look at this right here. They're ready to, they're, they're standing their ground, okay? You'll have a different view of penguins afterwards, I got to tell you. But when they are being chased by killer whales, they have a much different strategy. My point is you have to know your enemy to know how to fight. And that's what Paul tells us. Look back at verse 11. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So again, if you've received God's gifts, if you suited up for battle, what's next? You got to stand. You got to stand. You got to stand. You got to stand. Now the verb stand means to hold one's position continually. Stand your ground. And the word is not passive. It is an active word. It's like an oak tree standing against winds. So when Satan comes against you with a flood of temptations, you got to stand. The objective, Paul's saying, is resistance. Resist the devil, James tells us. Are you resisting the devil? You stand aggressively against him because you know you got a power behind you that's stronger than him. Now, I'll come back to the schemes of the devil in just a moment, but before I get there... I want to do a little reconnaissance work here. Before you fight the battle, you have to have the lay of the land, right? So, so Paul shows us two key points we have to recognize, and he starts in verse 12. He says, for we do not wrestle, this is the nature of the battle, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Two key points in this verse. First, that word wrestle, right? It, Paul's now mixing military and athletic metaphors here. This is an athletic term. If you, if you, it would bring up this Greco-Roman sport imagery where wrestlers were so close together, they were, they were locked in close combat that you could, you could feel the sweat. Like today, if you're so close, you can feel the sweat of the person next to you, right? It's hot out there. You can smell the breath of your opponent. The nature of the battle is close combat. Now, second, notice the nature of the enemy. It's not flesh and blood. It's not other people. That image bearer next to you is not the enemy. In other words, he's telling us that we have to recognize it's a spiritual battle, not a physical battle. It is a spiritual battle, not a physical battle. Paul says we live in a world filled with the supernatural. But many people don't believe that. In fact, you may be here today or you're listening to this later on and you don't even believe that. You, maybe you resonate with the words of 20th century theologian Rudolf Bultmann who said, if you turn on an electric light, you, you certainly can't believe in demons. And his point was, living in a modern world of science and technology and medicine and all, and all of that has forced many people to leave behind those primitive beliefs from the Bible. After all, now we got Google. We got ChatGPT. We got the metaverse. I mean, come on. We can easily explain anything that seems demonic. Or can we? That's Satan's greatest lie. I think many Christians live like the supernatural doesn't exist or like it's a fairy tale. But if you believe the Bible is true, you cannot read Paul's words any other way. 
If you don't recognize the supernatural reality of the world, you will not wage the right war, and you're going to be at a disadvantage. So now Paul goes on to describe the enemy. He says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against who? Against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So Paul makes something very clear in this verse. The enemy, again, is not other people. It is these influential, unseen spiritual forces in our world right now. Look at the list Paul says here. He talks about rulers and authorities and cosmic powers and spiritual forces of evil. That's, that's quite a list. That's a lot of killer whales coming after us. Paul is showing us the scope of the opposition. We are opposed not by one spiritual being, but by a wide range, wide range of evil spiritual beings who vary in rank and authority. And that can feel really intimidating. Have you ever stopped to consider this? Have you ever meditated on this verse? In fact, if you're a kid here today, um, have you ever been afraid of the dark? Sometimes the unknown is a little scary, but as we just learned, God's power is greater than our enemy. He's going to protect us no matter what. And that's important in light of Paul's description. Just imagine in your daily life, you were walking around and you started to recognize there's these unseen spiritual beings who are attacking us, who are waging war against us. You know, there's a new Marvel show out there uh, called Secret Invasion. Just came out starring Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury. Now, I know a lot of you aren't into Marvel shows, but the premise of this one might pique your interest. Uh, there is a race of shape-shifting aliens who've invaded the earth and are taking over. Uh, they, they can take anybody's form, and so they, they can even take over your mind and, 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 your, and your, your, your thoughts and impersonate you, so you would never know the difference. You would never suspect the enemy was right in your midst. Can you imagine? Sounds a bit like what Paul's talking about in Ephesians 6. And what is their goal? To turn against God and to make you and I ineffective for his kingdom. That's their goal. That's what we are up against. So recognize it's a spiritual attack and recognize you need spiritual weapons to wage this war. Resist. How do you do that? You also need to recognize the enemy's tactics. Now, this is a series on spiritual warfare and tactics. We, we do have to have our own to combat the enemy, but we also need to know the enemy's tactics. What is his game plan? Look again back at verse 11. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the what? Against the schemes of the devil. So this verse focuses on the chief enemy, the devil, Satan. He's described in Scripture as what? As the father of lies, John 8, 44. He was once an angel of light who rebelled against God, who was cast out of heaven, and now he is intent on attacking the people of God. How does he do this? Through his schemes. Now, the Greek word for schemes is the word methododia, which is where we get our English word methods from. So he's saying here the devil has his methods. The devil has his methods. It's often said that we have three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. First, we live in a fallen world, and its sinful messages often run contrary to God and His Word. Second, we have a sin nature, our flesh, which is enticed to rebel against God like our ancestors, Adam and Eve. And then what the devil does is the devil uses that to his advantage. He entices our flesh with the world's messages in an attempt to take us away from God. That's how he works. How does he do that? Well, there's a lot to be said on this topic, but I want to give you three categories today as you leave and as you go out from here today, three categories to get you started. 
And I think each builds on each other. The first thing the devil uses, what? Is deception. Deception, that's the first category. The devil and his armies are deceivers. Their native language is the language of lies. Paul tells the Corinthians that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. Where are you being deceived? And, and this is where spiritual warfare starts to get, get personal. Some of us right now are believing lies about who we are. Satan wants you to forget who you are and what you have in Christ. That's what he wants to do. That's what the whole book of Ephesians is about. That's why this, this passage is here. And that can also occur on a societal level. Every day, the, our society is believing lies about what's true and what's real. The angel of light entices us, and he does that for the purpose, secondly, of defiance. So deception and then defiance. And that was the original tactic of Satan in the garden. He made Adam and Eve question God's goodness. Did God really say, Satan said, that you can't eat that fruit? He just wants to have power. Come on, you should be able to eat that fruit, right? And then what happened? Adam and Eve rebelled against God. Sin enters the world. Now, there's many people right now walking around as enemies of God because of that, openly rejecting Him. Even some Christians are living in defiance of God because we have allowed our sin nature to rule us. As the Puritan writer John Owen once said, we have to be killing sin or sin will be killing us. Third category, discouragement. Deception, defiance, discouragement. Now, this is Satan's favorite tactic with Christians, I think. And I felt it in my own life. You think your life right now is going in a certain direction, but then all of a sudden, what what happens? You lose your job. Uh, Your marriage falls apart. You you get that medical diagnosis, and discouragement sets in, and and that's just big issues, right? You, You can also encounter daily issues. Some of us right now are living in a constant state of discouragement and depression. We start to believe lies. Oh, nothing goes my way. I'll never achieve God's plans Uh, for my life. Kids out there, how does it feel when your friends ignore you at school? Maybe you just can't understand that math concept. It's discouraging, right? Deception, defiance, discouragement. Those are the tactics the enemy uses to keep us from being effective for the kingdom of God. That's his goal. And that's why spiritual warfare is needed in the life of every Christian. So now the question is, how do we fight? Over the next six weeks, Paul is going to lay out six weapons, six tools in this fight that we have to master and learn so we have skill in combat. The first four are defensive weapons. The last two are offensive. And he starts with our main defense. What is our main defense? It's the truth. The truth. And my goodness, is that applicable today? The truth about our world is under assault. And Paul tells us this will happen constantly. He reminds us to resist. What does he say? Verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, stand firm. Again, he says, suit up for battle and resist. But he also reminds us this is an ongoing battle. That evil day, that word evil day that's used there, it has a dual vision. Yes, there will be a final battle in the future where Satan will be defeated once and for all, but this phrase also refers to an ongoing struggle for Christians every day. And so let me just state it very, very bluntly. You will face attacks every day. The Christian life is a battlefield. There's going to be conflict and chaos and disorder and challenges. The question is, will you resist? 
you got to prepare for battle. How do you do that? Verse 14, stand therefore, having fastened on what? The belt of truth. Now, the repetition of that word stand is showing us how serious this is. How do you stand? You stand with the truth. The belt of truth refers to the truths of God as contained in His Word, and then living uprightly because we have been saved by those truths. Now, for a soldier, this belt was central to their body. Here's the image Paul wants you to see. A Roman soldier would often wear a long, flowing tunic on his body. And when Paul says we got to fasten, or other translations say we got to gird up the belt of truth, he's reminding us that the Roman soldier would take that tunic, he would take the belt, and he would wrap it around his body as he prepared for battle. It would shorten the tunic, it would get it out of the way, it would allow for freedom of movement as he was getting ready to fight. It wouldn't hinder his progress. The belt was also where the sword was sheathed. It was a central support to the body. And this is the reason the belt is first. Think about the importance of a belt in your own life. Some of you right now, if you weren't wearing a belt, your pants would be falling down. The belt is important. In modern day, many professions will hang tools from their belt, right? If you're a a construction worker, if you're a police officer, the, the tools of the trade are on your belt, Likewise, Paul puts the belt first because all the following elements that we're going to talk about, they flow from the truth. The belt keeps things in their proper place. Rob Ventura puts it this way. He says, as the soldier, as the soldier's belt was placed at the center of his body, so truth must be central in our lives, encompassing all that we do if we are to be prepared for the fight with Satan, our crafty foe. Are we prepared? Is the belt of truth fastened around your waist? We need to prepare for battle, he says. So we've recognized there's a spiritual war. Now we need to hone our skill in battle. And we discussed those three tactics of Satan, deception, defiance, discouragement. And you're probably thinking, well, how do I fight back? Well, I'd like to propose right now a countermeasure equation. This is kind of your big takeaway today, the countermeasure equation. When the enemy tempts you this week, you got to fight back like this. First, you got to meditate on God's Word daily. So God's Word, that's the first part of the equation. Meditate on God's Word. Find a time and a place to read it. you got to find a time and a place to read God's Word. You will not recognize the lies if you do not know the truth. Second, you got to rely on the Holy Spirit to apply it. So God's Word plus the Holy Spirit. When you feel attacked you got to pray like this, Holy Spirit, I feel under attack right now. Show me the truths of God's Word that I need to hear right now. Show me. I need your help, Holy Spirit. Because when you meditate on God's Word, if you then rely on the Holy Spirit, do you know what that equals? Discernment. God's Word plus the Holy Spirit equals discernment. Discernment. So we combat the devil's deeds with our own D. Deception, defiance, discouragement, combat that Deception, defiance, discouragement, combine that with discernment based on God, the truth of God's word. That's the winning strategy. Now, how do I know that? How do I know that? Because that's exactly what Jesus did. Luke chapter 4, you may remember, Satan brings Jesus into the desert to tempt him. And he offers three temptations to Jesus, right? The first one deals with hunger. Second one dealt with power. The third one dealt with doubt, testing God. How does Jesus respond every single time? Every single time the Satan, Satan tempts him, what does Jesus say? It is written. 
It is written every time Jesus responds by quoting the Scriptures. Why? Because Jesus knew, and He's showing us, that it is in God's Word that you find the truth. But more, more than that, when Jesus goes out into the wilderness, what do we learn? Luke 4, 1 and 2, it says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 42 days, being tempted by the devil. Okay, so Jesus knows. And notice, even before the attack came, Jesus was relying on the Holy Spirit. He was prepared before the attack came. He knew it would come. He knew the killer whales were in the water. And when, and when he responded, what did he do? He responded with God's Word, and he relied with the Holy Spirit, which gave him discernment. That's the countermeasure. So hear me loud and clear, church. When you're attacked, when Satan attacks, we need to fight like Jesus. Not, and with Jesus, but we need to fight like Jesus. Respond with God's Word, rely on the Holy Spirit, and then you will have discernment. So when Satan brings deception, remember Jesus' prayer to His disciples, sanctify them with truth. Your Word is truth, John 17, 17. That's discernment. When Satan tempts us to defiance, recite Paul's famous words in Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, and by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's discernment. When Satan tries to discourage you, remember what the apostle John wrote, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world, 1 John 4, 4. That's discernment. That's how you fight like Jesus. And remember this, more than that, Jesus Christ led the resistance by going to the cross. <laughs> but he didn't just lead the resistance, he secured the victory. If you don't know, Jesus wins, right? Satan is defeated. Christian, do not walk around like you are defeated because you are not. What does Paul tell us in Colossians 2, right? to the Colossian church. He says, Jesus goes to the cross. He dies in our place. He canceled the legal demands of the law. But then what does he say? He says, he also disarmed who? The rulers and authorities. He put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him on the cross. He Jesus has disarmed our enemy. Do you know what that means? That means Satan and his rulers and his authorities and his spiritual forces, they are powerless if you know Jesus. I heard that amen out there, right? Thank you. Jesus has already won. Do not let the devil deceive you. Do not let the devil cause you to defy God. Do not let the devil discourage you because you have victory in Jesus. Instead, when you feel under attack, be a penguin. Be a penguin. Those killer whales are coming after you. You got to jump in the boat, jump in your father's arms, jump in the arm of your savior and let him protect you because he will fight for you. He has fought for you. Exodus 14, 14, Song of Moses. Great verse. What does it say? It says, the Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. And friends, so many of us are fighting this battle in our own strength with physical weapons. It is futile. This is a spiritual war. We need a champion who can fight for us. When Jesus enters the ring, the forces of darkness flee. Like the penguin, you got to jump into his arms. Let him protect you. Let him fight for you. How do you do that, you ask? 
Paul tells us how in Ephesians 6, 18. He says we have to be praying at all times in the Spirit. Praying at all times in the Spirit. He says you got to pray, you got to pray, you got to pray. You got to pour out your hearts to God. You got to ask, you got to plead for His help. And when you pray and you ask for God for help, you are joining the resistance against the devil. And some of us today, we need a kickstart. In fact, that's how I'd like to end our time today. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back on stage. And as they come back on stage, in just a moment, I'm going to invite everybody to stand, and we're going to do something we rarely do. I'm going to invite everybody to pray out loud at the same time. We're all here together. We don't have another service. Everybody's here. We're going to pray out loud together. And what I want you to do is I want you to start making your request to God. I know this might be new for some people. Make your request to God. Tell Him what you're going through. You can pray for somebody else. If you're a kid, I know it might be a little bit new, but this, this is something we want to try, praying out loud together. When Paul tells the Ephesians to stand firm in Ephesians 6, yes, he is talking to individuals, but he's not just talking to individuals. He's talking to the whole church, everybody here, the whole church. He says we are called to stand firm together. So together right now, I want to invite you to stand And we're going to resist the devil by praying to our great God, our champion, asking our Savior to fight for us. So I'll start, and then I'll count to three, and then I want everybody, we're just going to start praying out loud together. We are going to pray, we are going to pray, we're going to pray, and then in just a few moments, I'm going to pray and close this out before we sing our final song. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we come before you today, Lord, and we recognize that we are in a spiritual battle, and we thank you for the gifts you've given to us to wage that spiritual battle, knowing that you, Lord Jesus, are greater than our enemy. You have defeated him already. And so, Lord, we bring our struggles before you today. We bring our challenges before you today. We give them to you.